Hey everyone, welcome to Comedy History 101. We have a brand new episode today on the history of comedy after 9-11. Yes, it's a feel-good episode. But actually, it parallels kind of what we're going through right now. You know, comedy during the time of a crisis. You know, how do people rebound with humor? Uh, as they say, laughter is the best medicine. But before we jump into the episode, take some time to like, subscribe, and comment on Comedy History 101, either through iTunes, Stitcher, or our website, ComedyHistory101.com. And without further ado... You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. The good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured the audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101. That's the way my mind works. I wanted to uh, basically address the elephant in the room. I have to catch a flight to California. I can't get a direct flight. They said they have to stop at the Empire State Building first. Oh, oh, too soon, too soon. Too soon, dude, too, too soon. soon. So what you heard there was a clip of Gilbert Godfrey from the 2001 Friars Club, Friars Club Roast <laughs> of Hugh Hefner. And yes, you've tuned into another episode of Comedy History 101. Where we school you in comedy. I am a quarantine Harmon Leon. With me is a still quarantine Scott Kalanico. Scott, a quarantine top of the morning to you. <laughs> and uh, a quarantine... Guten Morgen to you, Harmon, from here in uh, Berlin. Ah, uh, yeah. So, how how is the pandemic self isolation going in uh, Berlin? Here's okay. They kind of opened some stores uh, up back up again. I did wear my mask. You have to wear a mask now if you go into the store or take the uh, U-Bahn or the subway. Oh, dude, so, I'm gonna sound like a guy that listened to like an indie band before they became famous <laughs> on you. Yeah. Okay. Oh, please, you have to wear masks. I remember weeks ago when we had to officially wear masks and in going into establishments. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was uh, brought down by our governor Como. Oh wow! Yeah, no, this is like now. Now they're saying you know you have to wear it, which is weird after all this time. So, Scott, what we are currently facing is a global crisis, and the clip we heard up front was from 2001 from the Comedy Central roast, which was originally a Friars Club roast, of Hugh Hefner with Gilbert Godfrey making a joke about another crisis, which brings us to our topic today on Comedy History 101 is comedy after 9-11. Yeah. Uh, yeah, God, why are we like? <laughs> yeah, why are we do it? We're, dude? we're in a downer era, and we, we have sort of yeah, a downer is, yeah, type of episode. Make, why can't we do the history worse. of puppies funny on the internet? So, Scott, we should do uh, the history of kittens. The cuteness of kittens on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. So, Scott, uh, what was nine eleven? Um, do you want me to go into the geopolitical ramifications of it or just kind no, of No, I want you to go into the loose or, change conspiracy theory the behind conspiracy. it. Scott, in brief, maybe just do the um, elevator pitch. What is 9-11? Oh, okay. What was guys, 9-11? Guys, terrorists. This is an elevator pitch. 
Okay, elevator pitch. Tara flew planes into buildings. That's Built right. Buildings. And then what did they say about comedy after 9-11? Um, well, people were thinking, were, um, you know, where does the place of comedy? But more on top of that, uh, people were referring to it as the death of irony. Yeah, most particularly a Roger Rosenblatt wrote a kind of a, a pinnacle article at the time in Time Magazine stating that after 9-11, it was the death of irony. Now, could you go in a little bit into that, what, what, what he meant by that? I think I understand his gist, but a lot of people jumped on his bandwagon thinking that, uh, you know, there wasn't going to be comedy after 9-11, which, you know, first of all, uh, it's ridiculous because first, you know, laughter is the best medicine for healing right, yeah. any kind of tragedy. Yeah. So therefore, you know, as we stated on previous episodes on our history of gallows humor, you know, mm-hmm. uh, humor is part of the healing process. But this Roger Rosenblatt, which, you know, he seemed to get a lot of press on this. Um, he declared that... Uh, it was the death of irony. And would, I, I, just go a little bit into that. What, what, what's your take well, on was what the death of, of irony meant? He was just su- suggesting that, you know, people who are like cynic, cynical about, you know, America and American beliefs needed to like kind of replace that with a newfound dedication to their uh, their country, a little bit more patriotic. Um that was really kind of the thing. People were looking forward to the the, the death of Irie and the death of of, uh, of cynicism. Yeah. So what what he was saying is that uh, you know beliefs of like uh, back in the day the ironists would say you know America is the greatest country in the world. And they would say it like ironically or wear like an ironic American flag T shirt. Uh, all that was like out the window because. Uh, you know, people had to come back and say, you know, there was like American flags everywhere, basically, uh, right, like yeah. after 9-11. So was his sort of thesis statement saying, you know, all that's out the window because it's no longer ironic to be ironic about, you yeah. know, saying America's <laughs> the greatest country in the world? That's that's what I got out of that. Okay, so was, 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 was Rogen, Rosenblatt wrong? <laughs> Did irony die? Is that was no, that it? I think he I has think there been he was, irony he was, since he was de- he was definitely wrong. Yeah, he was definitely wrong. But um, yeah, it was just such a shocking event. I think it was more. It was just it, it was uh, just the 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 way it was so staged. It was just such a spectacularly staged event by the enemies of freedom that you know it just left a mark on anybody who who saw it. So what happened? So what happened like the weeks after, uh, you know, uh, what happened with, you know, much like we have here um, in because I think what we're going to do in this episode is create some parallels to this modern conundrum, which we're in, Um, you know, again, like say in modern era to bring it all back because we always say why this story now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, currently, uh, you know, uh, they closed, they, they shut down all the late night TV shows. And right. in our our era, our death of irony is, you know, all all the shows basically <laughs> turned into kind of like uh, small town home public access TV shows where they're all filmed out of, you know, the host's home now. Um, I know. But, and I, I think that's kind of interesting now because now you can you you kind of see some of these co- the, some of the comedy without the uh, the audience laughing at everything, and then you're mm. like, hmm, this this isn't really that funny. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one with that was really visible was uh, Bill Maher a bit on his uh, really? interviews. Without, uh, do you watch the Bill Maher? Uh, no, I don't. Yeah, I like I like Bill Maher, but without the audience, you know, you know, he he plays it up to the crowd. You know, when he says a statement, right. and he gets like a big applause break. You know, uh-huh. so with the statements without the applause breaks. Uh, which what, what's that called when when people don't laugh but they clap? It's like uh, clapture or something. You know, it's what? sort of like uh, uh, when, when when you say a joke that doesn't get a laugh but it gets applause. You know, oh polite, it's, what golf clapping? No, just kind of like you're just uh, Pav- you know, Pavlovian feed, response. Well, you're feeding me to uh, your your. You know, you're you're you've already won over the audience, and you're mm-hmm. clap sure. I think they call it like that okay, someone, okay. from SNL. But uh, yeah. you know, without that, without that filter, you know, yeah. you, you can see a lot of holes. But you know, I guess it's like an interesting era in late night right now because it's mm-hmm. you know again uh, things aren't going to be the same afterwards, and no. I think like a lot of these TV execs are going to go. Yeah, our ratings were kind of the same. Can you guys just keep filming these yeah, shows out of your homes? <laughs> I think there's going to be a, a bit of that with kind of the lesser shows, you know? They're going to realize. I, I think that, so, yep. <laughs> that, uh, you know, kind of like on a, uh, you know, you and I do a show called uh, Jokey Okey, which mm-hmm. uh, people can watch uh, every other Thursday night. But, you know, on a setup pretty much similar to that right now, they're doing late night TV shows. Yeah. So, but they're dealing like, well, I mean, well, to go back to the nine 11, I mean, even with the, the, what's going on now, nine 11 things actually stopped. I mean, like everything, mm-hmm. they just pulled the plug on everything for, for, for a couple of days. I mean, it wasn't, um, cause I know David Letterman was the first late night comic who just got back on the, on the air, uh, afterwards. Yeah. He came like the Monday after the attacks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was so those attacks were on a Tuesday. Yeah, so that's almost uh, that's not even a week later. That yeah, night? I remember that night, and I remember not wanting to go back, not feeling ready to go back, uh, but knowing we had to go back. And you know, my concerns were minimal compared to people who yeah. really suffered. Uh, but I felt like Rudy Giuliani kept saying, "Go back to work, people." Not to me, but generally, sure. Uh, we we got to live our lives, and we have to go back to work, and we can't this and that and this and that and this and that. And uh, so I was uh, trepidatious about it because I didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do. But I knew yeah, and then Conan, Conan O'Brien followed uh, the next night, and then uh, John Stewart's Daily Show followed just a few nights later. Yeah, so they, they were they were all back out, and they all just kind of it was a lot of. Um... Uh, the host came out um, and kind of gave a tearful monologue, and just they were they were, they were choked up. You could tell it was definitely a very mm-hmm. emotional moment because all all of those were in in New York. Yeah, they're all New York City based shows. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I think uh, John Stewart kind of lived close to where uh, you know the World Trade Center was. Mm-hmm. So he lived you know close to the financial district. So. You know, again, it was like the thing. So Letterman, what was the first Letterman show like? Like the first one? When he came back. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not the first well, one, the original one where Bill Murray was the guest star. No. Uh, we, yeah, he just he just kind of came out. Um, if we use a direct quote here, he's just like, 
Uh, he said to the audience, uh, if we're going to continue to do shows, I just need to hear myself talk for a few minutes. And uh, so he kind of he asked for the audience patience for indulging his monologue. And then um, basically the, the quote that, that people kind of pulled out of this or, or, mm-hmm. or remembered about this was that uh, how difficult it was was going to be doing a TV show that makes fun of everything. Yeah, I mean, again, it was like, uh, you know, especially with, say, The Daily Show, which was all about, you know, making fun of George Bush at the Mm -hmm. time and American politics, you know, what is your your so-called target? Right, yeah, exactly. But but with, you know, Letterman, that's more just kind of a mainstream uh, talk show. So um, I believe he said, you know, he just wanted to hear himself talk for a few minutes, you know, to get it out of his system. And uh, this is dated. Uh, he gave praise to uh, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> That's what I noticed. <laughs> As being the personification well, of courage. Oh, how times have changed. God. Uh, Giuliani could have retired, you know, and he would have uh, a place in history as, you know, somewhat of a hero. <laughs> but, yeah. but then he just kind of continued... Being Rudy Giuliani, yeah, and then and then dressing in drag and hanging out, hanging out with Trump, um, but the uh, yeah he appeared like all all the, the late night talk shows hosts were were praising him. Uh, even he appeared on SNL as well too, like right after the attacks. The mayor spoke. It was a uh, very powerful night. Yeah, that was like the opening of SNL. Uh, they had him come out, and then um, Lauren Michaels said uh, to Rudy Giuliani, um, "Can can we be funny again?" And I think uh, Giuliani's written quip was, "It's uh, you know hasn't stopped yeah. you before, or something like yeah, that." Yeah, exa- exactly. So um, yeah, I mean that was interesting. Apparently, Lauren Michaels himself came up with that that little bit. Yeah, and in the case of Letterman, again, you got to, after, uh, you know, he kind of gave a heartfelt speech, uh, he, he, he twisted it with going, thank God Regis is here, so we have something to make fun of. And television, as we knew it, was shut down. It was all about the news. And over and over again, we would live through this horrible phase of our lives. And then one day you called me about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and you said, I'm going back on the air. I'd like you to join me. I was very flattered. And sure enough, you went back. Do you remember that? Yeah. So he's got he, he ended it with with a famous uh, return to the Reese Philbin jokes. Yeah, and then like you said, uh, John Stewart. Uh, I think at the point, you know, so you already had Letterman, you know, give his uh, heartfelt speech at Conan, you know, just saying this is like the hardest thing I've ever done, you know, having to open the show after nine eleven. And by that time, like John Stewart, I think, you know, a number of other shows, there was like kind of the, you know, Stewart pointed out the cliched nature of another entertainment show beginning with an overwrought speech of a shaken host. Mm -hmm. So he kind of, which is ironic. So they said death of irony. He was already. But it's already, people are already being ironic. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. I mean, I liked his. uh, his his joke about being uh, they said they said get they said get back to work and there were no jobs available for a man in the fetal fetal position under his desk crying you know so that's kind of uh, putting it all in a nutshell right there yeah who else was do you know any who else were the guests on uh, Letterman I mean I think Regis was I don't, I don't know I'm sure they didn't have a stand up that would have been a tough gig. <laughs> no, 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 that would have been a yeah, t- tough gig tough crowd. 
Yeah, but what I'm reading here, it says like both Stewart and Letterman exposed the depth of their genuine investment in the patriotic ideas of a, a democratic society, usually the target of their ridicule, ridicule and source of their punchlines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Which I guess goes back to the death of irony kind of statement, you know? Because like it showed like deep down that they were kind of believing in the patriotic American ideal, you know, values. Yeah, I mean, it was just it, it was you know people were were trying to compare that to Pearl Harbor, or they were comparing it to to Pearl Harbor and saying, okay, now is the time that you have, we all have to pull together. You know, we have to face the common enemy, so we we don't have time to be making fun of uh, the president or the mayor of New York City or any kind of authority figures. So, Scott, you're a bit of a historian. In fact, you co-host a podcast called This is the President. Do yes. you have any reference point to what comedy was like after the JFK assassination? Ah, that's actually very interesting, um, Harmon, because we'll be doing an episode uh, on this very soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a gentleman by the name of Vaughn Meter, who was mm-hmm. uh, a young comedian. He was like a, he was just in his twenties, and this is. Um, in 1963, kind of uh, rose to fame by he he had a JFK impersonation that he would do, and he started out doing it in nightclubs, and eventually he started getting you know invited onto TV shows and stuff. Right. And uh, and uh, Steve Allen, all the big all the big guys, uh, Andy Williams show saw a clip of him on there, and his, mm-hmm. his his JFK impression was actually pretty good. And then he would kind of take it a step further, but he, well, he would go um, he would kind of have he would just kind of play JFK as a character and have people in the audience ask him questions like he was at a news conference oh so cool he so he's like an improv good. guy or yeah it was like a, it was like an improv but then he put out mm-hmm. a record with some other comedians uh called the first family where there were just kind of a lot of skits about you know um, ah i think i've Kennedys. seen that at the smithsonian it's the and album. it's kind yeah. of, if you if if you were a vinyl collector if you ever mm-hmm. went to any if you've been into any record store <laughs> that would be today, you've, you've you've seen this record. But no, I, I, I can almost picture the cover because I have seen the album yeah. cover. Yeah, yeah, because here's the crazy thing. Well, because he, he kind of looked like JFK a little bit, and the, like I said, the impression was pretty good, you know. And so when you just hear him on the record, you're just like, oh, that's all right. But the thing is, that was the. Uh, to that date, that was the fastest selling album in history in the oh, United wow. States. Yeah, you it was mean, just like, it was, uh, more than say the Beatles or everything. Well, this, everything. Is, this was nineteen. Wow. This is nineteen sixty three. So this is right before the Beatles happened, right? And so the mm-hmm. guy, the guy, just like you know, became famous overnight. Um, I actually, we, we'll we'll talk more about this in the podcast. This is the president. Um, but I dug up a couple of. Um, White House memos where people at the White House were starting to get uh, a little afraid because Von Meter would go on radio doing his JFK impression, going, "Hey, listen, tune into W two B two, you know, tomorrow." <laughs> and and the yeah. press secretary Pierre Salinger is writing these memos, going, "This guy can't do that, you know, he's he's impersonating you and stuff." So, oh wow, uh, but apparently, yeah, apparently Kennedy liked the impression, but <laughs> it yeah. all came to a crashing halt for him. For Mr. Meter after uh, November twenty second, yeah, just like just like the album was, like, nobody wanted to have anything to do with that album anymore. <laughs> His career just like tanked. He was uh, just about to have a. Did, he was. Rec- did he become he was, a? Did he go back to school and become Doctor Meter? 
No, like but he, he, in the fall, he the was wall. about <laughs> to have um, an album came out. Like, the album, like he would, got, I think it was Columbia. It was one of the big record companies, and they were about to put it out. And then September eleventh, wow. or not September, and then uh, JFK was assassinated, and uh, he just kind of disappeared. Kind of just kind of moved back to uh, his hometown in Maine, and kind of became the town um, drunk, more or less, the, oh, the town yeah. friendly Ooh. drunk. Apparently, oh. he was a friendly drunk. Everybody says. <laughs> Though drunk, wow, yeah. that's kind of that's a movie in the making in a way. Oh, yeah. You know, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And again, in our Yakov Smirnoff episode, uh, these people with a one stick comedy thing. You know, unless they yeah. reinvent themselves, uh, yeah, you're that's gonna, it. Like, like uh, you know, how many how many Kramer from Seinfeld impersonators were were making a decent <laughs> living up until a point? Oh my god. <laughs> We, we, we strayed off the track a little bit there. I think a little bit, but sort of yeah. to get back on. Uh, yeah. So Will Ferrell said the week of 9-11, uh, uh, he told WNYC, he said the week um, after 9-11 at SNL, they would have to keep, they said, we have to keep our foot off the gas pedal for a while when it came to politics and topical humor, which they're, you know, which they were known for. But uh, it was... Uh, only until October, though, when Farrell was back doing George W. Imper- w. Bush impersonations. Saturday Night Live, normally seen at this time, will be delayed so that we may bring you the following address from the President of the United States. Good evening. When I campaigned to be your president, I promised that if elected, I would change the tone in Washington that I would end the usual partisan bickering and reach out to my opponents, often with a helping hand. And lately, it seems to me that no one has needed a helping hand more than former President Bill Clinton. Yeah, so it didn't, it didn't last, last too long, you know, for him to, to take his foot off the gas. You know, I think it was just because a, a lot of people hadn't seen, like, any kind of event like that in, in their lifetimes, so we didn't know quite how to react kind of like what's going on now where mm-hmm. you know what's what's happening now has happened before throughout history you know right it's just this is like our we're having to live through it you know this is the same exact thing happened a hundred years ago it's you mean crazy. the spanish flu sort of thing spanish flu yep the spanish influenza yeah but there was um, no internet in in the spanish yeah that's the problem there was there was there was no internet and um uh, another, for that point. And, uh, another video you can go see on our, our uh, this is the president channel the president in time at the in charge of the time uh woodrow wilson our favorite um racist president uh he there is nothing in the record written record of him ever saying anything about the flu in public like well, imagine something yeah <laughs> something like this happening and the president not even say, as bad as trump is like mm-hmm. this guy didn't say anything about it well, here's two things. So Bill Maher was making the case that, you know, it was okay to say, call it the Chinese flu. Because it, it's like we called it the Spanish flu uh-huh. at one point. But look who was president when you're calling it the Spanish flu. It was Woodrow yeah. Wilson, our most, our, our either most racist president or <laughs> second most racist <laughs> president, depending yeah. on uh, how you want to look at our current uh you know, leader of our country. Yeah. Uh, but also, though, that's specific. So, all right, so you have that point. But then he went, you know, we had the Hong Kong flu 
and you know all that but yeah but that's pointing to cities where you could call it the wuhan flu that's different than calling it the chinese flu and yeah. just really cynically saying it like trump does you know that's and- pointing to you know a whole entire country where hong kong flu it's like all right i i'm racist against hong kong people yeah but do do you know why do you know why they called it the spanish flu um i think it was something about there was some sort of media uh uh there was something about the media coverage of it or something like that yeah that's that's what it was. So, because, what, what explain it a little bit more? Because I, I well, heard basically the they they, they they think it might even have originated in the states, like Kansas in particular. But basically, mm-hmm. what was going on was, you know, the you know World War One was happening at the time. So the president Wilson was shipping all these troops, you know, who were going over to France, right. and they were getting sick and they were dying before they were even getting to France. And then when we get to France, and they infect people, and then they came back from the war, they infect people in the states, and so the, all the the American papers kind of had this. Um, and the the French newspapers had like they didn't want to talk about the epidemic or anything, so the first right. news of the epidemic started uh, surfacing in the Spanish newspapers. Ah, yeah, yeah, and just uh, uh, bummer trivia: more people died of the Spanish flu in World War One than casualties of World War One. Yes, I. exactly. <laughs> yep. So let's bring let's bring back a downer with yeah, another let's go, downer. Let's keep going down. <laughs> um, so uh, on, on the SNL Welcome Back uh, episode, uh, Reese Witherspoon was was mm-hmm. the host of the episode, which you know, kind of all American uh, singer Paul Simon. He did a mournful rendition of his song, "The Boxer." Um, another downer trivia involving SNL and a connection to nine eleven. Uh, Pete Davidson's dad was a first responder uh, who died in 9-11. So yeah. when, when Pete Davidson was uh, seven years old. So, you again, there's another connection to SNL. Um, so, Scott, what brought us what, – what brought irony back? What comedically brought us back uh, as part of the, the first steps of the healing process uh, after 9-11? Well, I would say, you know, on the subject of SNL, I would say when um, Will Ferrell did his skit about the company uh, Flag Day on on SNL, as I mentioned, and where he's wearing the American flag thong. Still, you got to admit, this is one fantastically handsome bulge, huh? So uh, that that kind of was, uh, it's kind of a classic moment. A little bit of trivia, so I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently in the skit he's supposed to just be wearing a pair of Daisy Dukes. Yep. <laughs> but if you if you haven't seen the skit, it's just basically these people. Yeah. Try, after after nine eleven, in a company like being very straight laced and trying to discuss what to do, and Will Ferrell comes in wearing an American flag thong, thong, and just kind of dances around the table and stuff. So, but apparently he wasn't. He 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 put that on right before they they uh, they uh, broadcast live. Yeah, so they oh, didn't nice. know he was going to be wearing the uh, the thong. And that was on the the episode, the first episode back, or uh, that was on. It was on the two thousand one episode. If you, I will come mm-hmm. back and get the exact date on that. Yeah, actually, a lot of people here are saying that that Fer- Will Ferrell's balls healed the country. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of almost ball shape, uh, another thing that kind of healed the country humorly when uh, after nine eleven was the Onion. Oh yeah, because that, that that was um, 
Yeah, that was that. They were kind of afraid about when they when they did that when they did that episode that um, issue that pub. Yeah, that issue. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So on September, it was September twenty sixth, two thousand and one. The Onion came out with the issue with the headlines: "Holy fucking shit! Attack on yeah. America." <laughs> So, yeah, as the publication editor said, they, they, they wanted to avoid cries of too soon by f- poking fun, gentle fun at our own sincere efforts to make ourselves and each other feel better after 9-11. And uh, they had articles with titles like, not knowing what else to do, women bakes American flag cake. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I can see that in a Onion sort of a pictorial. Oh, okay. Uh, should we just go through a few of these Onion sort of articles? Yeah, the he- the headline was uh, hijackers okay, surprised to find themselves in hell. Oh yeah. Oh oh my God. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 so to follow so to follow up on the on the uh, Will Ferrell thing, man. So that was actually so him doing the uh, this is uh, as on October sixth, two thousand one. Okay, Most, uh, so less than a Sean month. Sean William Scott. Yeah. So so. Uh, yeah, less than a month. Less, less than a month. You've got. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Also, this, that's the same show where he did. Um, he did uh, um, Bush for the first time. Yeah. So that was sort of like a return to normalcy when you could once again make fun of inept Bush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, and originally on that episode, Ben Stiller was supposed to was supposed to host. Um, but he pulled out because he was promoting Zoolander at the time, but then he pulled out. <laughs> oh, and that's another thing about Zoolander. They digitally removed the Twin Towers from yeah. uh, the opening yeah. shot of the movie. Because, that, yeah, that was like coming out that week. And so yeah. the first shot you see is like a skyline of New York. Not good. So here's what they said about the first post-9-11 issue of The Onion. Pulled no punches, causing the staff to worry. Um, it would be the they thought it would be the last issue to print. Um, their targets included hack Hollywood producers, uh, such with the title of the articles "American Life Turned Into Bad Jerry Bruckheimer Movie." Yeah, that that was a banner headline. I remember that. That was that was actually pretty funny. Yeah. So and they also articles that about reactive xenophobia, which uh, title. Uh, Arab American third grader returns from recess crying, <laughs> saying he didn't kill anyone. <laughs> yeah, there was there was another one about uh, uh, hijackers surprised to find themselves in hell. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They, they thought they were going to get their seventy two versions. <laughs> yeah, so according to writer John Creason, who was a writer at the time, he said it wasn't an especially funny issue. In fact, I'd say it was the least funny issue we've ever done. However, since it marked an important step in the country, it learned to laugh, not just after the attacks, but about themselves. But Scott, um, up front, we played the clip. I think that really kind of swung the floodgate. Wait, hold on, there's a car coming by. Um, That swung the kind of humor, it's okay to laugh at ourselves, floodgates open. What happened when Gilbert Gottfried was on the Friars Club roast after 9-11. Well, Harmon, I think, uh, Harmon, uh, Harmon, let me be frank with you. So Gilbert Gottfried likes to be edgy? a comedian. 
Yeah, he travels on the edge. He actually prides himself on that. He always wants to be the first to do a joke about an event. And I think I believe he even said it so himself. He wanted to be the first person to start to tell a 9-11 joke. And uh, there might be ones who, who told her earlier, but this is a pretty big event, so um, I guess we'll give it. We'll give him that title for now. If anybody, unless one of our listeners can come forward with uh, something else, but he went up on the stage at the Friars Club and said, uh, "I have to leave early tonight. I have to fly to L.A. I couldn't get a direct flight. We had to stop at the Empire State Building." And how did that go over with the crowd? Like a lead balloon, Harmon. Didn't go over well. The audience. A few spattered, a few scattered, a few scattered applause. Jesus, what am I trying to look? A few scattered, Take four. <laughs> uh, no, a few scattered. Scattered applause. Scattered something. A few, a few. Yeah, a smattering of applause. That's what I was trying to say. A smatter, a smattering of applause, some boos, a couple of too soons, and then what Mr. Godfrey did was follow it up with the famous aristocrat. Aristocrats joke, which made it in the movie The Aristocrats, uh, which yes, was directed exactly. by our friend Paul Pervenza. Exactly. Yeah, but I think again, I think what we're talking about here is and just kind of the essence of laughter, uh, which stems to Sigmund Freud's theories on laughter and why we laugh is like you're bringing out a repressed thought and you're saying, you know, what we fear to say and thus why. You know, making a 9-11 joke right after 9-11 would get some sort of laugh because it's like that's kind of like what is repressed in us. You're saying the unsaid and that, in a sense, is one of the theories why, you know, it's cathartic to uh, elicit a laugh. Yeah, no, it was, it was good. So I think, I think the death of irony was... was um... Uh, was an early pronouncement that turned out to be wrong. I think, um, you know, as we can see from, 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 it only took a few days for late night talk shows hosts to get back on. And then, as we said, uh, within less than a month, you know, Will Ferrell's back on there uh, doing his Bush impression and walking around with an American flag thong. Yeah, so again, I think it was somewhere on that uh, WNYC uh, podcast I heard uh, where Will Ferrell was featured. I think also Jeff Ross, uh, you know, who who hosts a lot right, of the yep. the comedy mm-hmm. roasts. Roast, you know, yeah. he's he thought you know he heard you know all the things like comedy's dead, there's no more comedy. But you know, within a few days after the attacks, you know, he was you know back at the comedy cellar in New York. It's like, you know, business. This is not as usual, but, you know, it's just kind of like, I think, you know, comedy took a pause, you know, as, as, as it should, but, yeah. uh, you know, you can't, as long as there's tragedy fuels comedy. So yeah, that's, that's, again, we, we went into that, into our episode on the history of gallows humor. So Scott, I think, you know, to, to, to close out this episode, where whoa, do you think whoa, comedy... Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, Yeah, Army. you got something? You're not even doing your research, buddy. All you, right, go uh, ahead. <laughs> so I, I heard this on a Joe Rogan podcast and just ah, kind of want to make sure we talked sure. about it. Was that, Yeah, so so one of... We haven't covered him yet. I'm sure we'll get uh-huh. to him on his own, very own episode. One of our favorite comedians, uh, George Carlin was um, taping one of his comedy specials on Mm. September 10th. 
Oh God! And apparently, it was if you know George George Carlin, you know he's mm-hmm. a little jaded, edgy. a little bitter, but he edgy, but he does it in a funny way, and he mm-hmm. kind of like makes people think. But apparently, this one show was um, very edgy, uh, very kind of um, you know anti-authoritarian, and and very kind of Carlin-esque, you know, to to yeah. the to the to the extent that at, when at, when nine eleven happened. Uh, the record company was like, "Yeah, we're not, we're never gonna put this out." <laughs> oh wow! Did it ever get released in it some is. sort of it, form? So apparently, you can get it on Amazon. Amazon, you can download the MP3 or whatever. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, but where do you think? Where do you think? You know, so comedy. So I guess two parts of uh, our our conclusion here. How do you think comedy was changed after nine eleven? What what changed the style of humor? Other than a momentary pause where people were kind of a little bit hesitant on skewing kind of like, uh, you know, authoritarian, uh, you know, people in power. But, but that, you know, only changed, you know, people were back, you know, doing butch jokes, you know. That's what I mean. That, months be, because it was that, like he was, you know, he was the guy that got us, you know, took us into war. Yeah. And here's the interesting thing. Hey, you know what, Harmon? We're still yeah. at war. So it's been, yeah. so yeah. who has the last laugh in the end? Not to be laughing at things like that, but uh, yeah, we're still at war at, in Afghanistan. Uh, but I, th- I don't think it changed anything really. I think yeah, I think you answered, you said what I was going to say. Comedy mm-hmm. took a comedy took a pause, and then the, the, everybody was back to business. Yeah, so, um, okay, uh, why this story now? Uh, how do you think comedy will change once, you know, comedians can go back to the live theater venues and the comedy clubs? What, well. I, I do believe there's going to be a, um, a shift in, in, in the style of comedy. Um, I don't know about that. I mean, I think, I think, be- I think it'll be an era where people want to hear just more sincerity uh, you know, uh, uh, from comedians, you know, just kind of like we've all kind of like kind of like a phony facade has been lifted among from people that, uh, you know, it's more of a shared common, you know, it's like everyone's been quarantined. Everyone's been isolated. So that's a common thread that's run through everyone where you can't be a character acting like you're crushing it. You know, <laughs> there's going to be a more of a vulnerability in comedy that's that's just my prediction when we get yeah, back to the clubs around 2025 yeah that's well that's kind of the thing that's gonna be when you get when we get back to the clubs around 2025 and then i'm just yeah i don't think it's i think it'll be the same thing it'll be you know people might be doing that for a little bit but then they'll get back to you know they'll be the andrew dryce clay of of 20 2026 you know <laughs> you mean, be, what they'll do in 1989 humor yeah yeah <laughs> So that's gonna come back. Nineteen eighty nine humor is the no, your just prediction? like char- characters and stuff, and it's gonna be just what it was before. I mean, there might be a little bit, there might be a little let up when we things. I, I think though, I think there'll be a change. I think because I think what the big difference is, you're preventing people, and there is you know everyone's doing uh, the live stream shows, so there is an outlet where people are doing comedy. You know, uh, and they're doing a lot of comedy, you know, but they're just doing it minus a live audience. And in some cases, you're doing comedy minus 
hearing laughter from your audience. Yeah. So I think that's going to greatly change how comedy is done. It's just because you have isolated, you know, you put people in a Petri dish science experiment uh, of, of removing the comedy club from the formula. And, you know, I think, you know, depending on how long it goes on, that's going to really change the face of live comedy when that comes back into being. Again, it's just my take. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, and you're, you're welcome to your take. I mean, I've, yeah, I don't think anything's going to change, really. Oh, yeah. I, I, well, let's be Roger and Ebert on this and agree to disagree. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, um, with that, Scott, it's time to plug away what live events do you have coming up oh Harmon, what do we all what does anybody have to plug in this crazy pandemic filled world um well actually well do have we i do have one thing to plug uh and i do another podcast called this is the president um we also have a youtube channel which you can go and watch all these videos on as i mentioned we just did one about about trump racist racist waste (laughs) race god Race, uh, racist, uh, yeah, racist, uh, race, uh, racist, uh, racist, 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 Woodrow, that's it, racist, Woodrow <laughs> Wilson and the uh, great Spanish flu pandemic, um, and kind of what uh, Trump's response to today, today's pandemic is, and we also just put up one about Jimmy Carter and his UFO experience, ooh, oh. in light of the new UFO tapes that just came out, um, yeah, so those are pretty interesting, and you can find those at our YouTube channels, YouTube dot, YouTube, YouTube.com slash this is the president. Here, here. And what I have to plug is May 7th, next Thursday, uh, Scott and I co host a live streaming show called Jokey It's stand up comedy karaoke in a three round game show. And yes, you can check us out on Twitch at twitch.tv slash comedy history 101. It's that mm-hmm. easy. So it'll be on at 7 p.m. Eastern Time next Thursday night. And be sure to like, subscribe, and comment on Comedy History 101 wherever you get it, be it Stitcher or iTunes, or even our site, ComedyHistory101.com. And thanks a lot for tuning in, and bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're stupid. Everybody so stupid. Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured the audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101.